Thank you, Peter. Good afternoon. And, uh, oh, come on. Good afternoon. Y'all sound as quiet as an Alabama football team after they just got crushed by Auburn. But that's another matter. Uh, football season has begun. Um, I'm thankful that God has called you, though, to this place uh, on this Saturday afternoon. Uh, some of you will are not here on Saturday afternoon. You're watching this on a Sunday morning or a Sunday afternoon or maybe later on in the week. And I'm very glad that you're here as well. Uh, we're ending up a three-week series uh, called A Biblical Perspective. It's a biblical perspective on pandemics, race, and politics. And somebody asked, why have we gone to those places? Well, we've gone to those places because uh, we believe that's where God has taken us. Uh, we look in our, our culture and we see uh, several big issues facing us right now as, as the church and as the nation. Uh, and, and we want to make sure that we are seeing all of those things through the eyes of God. Okay? Uh, we, we, we live in a world that wants to shape us, to form us, to disciple us, if you will. Uh, and yet God has said that that role belongs to the church of Jesus Christ. It belongs to Christ. It belongs to his word. It belongs to pastors to shape, disciple, and form our thinking, our worldview through the word of God. So uh, we have said that we want to um, help correct, uh, train in righteousness, teach, rebuke, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that we want to do these things so that we might have a biblical perspective of these things in, in our lives. So with that in mind, let's go to the Father in prayer. Will you join me? Father, thank you for calling us together on, on this afternoon. And uh, Lord, we need you. Lord, you've called us here because you know we need you. Lord, thank you for that. Father, you know, you know my heart. You know that there's a lot of things I'd rather talk about uh, than politics, especially in this environment. But Lord, I love to talk about you. I love to talk about Jesus. So Father, I pray that you'll help me, that you'll help us to understand more of who you are, who you are in us, uh, who we are in you, how you've called us to think, uh, how you've called us to love and to live and to, to love you and to love each other, to love the world around us. Father, I pray that you'll help us. Lord, I pray that you'll transform us by the renewing of our mind that we may prove with that good and acceptable word of God. Lord, we, we are in great need of you and we pray that you would transform us even today. Lord, I pray also that I would decrease and that you would increase. Oh, Jesus, increase. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to take off today from Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 to 40. So open up your Bible if you brought one with you or your device or you'll find it uh, on the screens uh, behind me as well. This is the word of our Lord. Teacher, what is, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. My friends, that pretty much sums up everything, doesn't it? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Another place we see it uh, written differently. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That encompasses everything that you are. Everything that you are. Everything that I am. It's all wrapped up in that. And you might say, so what does this have to do with a biblical perspective on politics? I would say that, you, that it has everything to do with that. To love your, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, your mind is, is to have every single thing, every single bit of who you are, the way you think, the way you love, the way you live, the way you breathe, the way you sleep, the way you wake, the way you do business, the way the, you love your wife, the way you love your husband, the, the way you discipline your children and raise them up, the way you honor your parents, the way you walk down the street, the way you do business, the way you shop, the way you do everything you do with an eye towards loving the Lord your God. Everything is wrapped up in that. It involves the worship of God and God alone. Everything's involved in that. So as we dive into this today, a biblical perspective on politics, what we're going to see is that there's someone greater. We're going to see there's a greater king, a greater kingdom, who gives us greater wisdom and calls us to a greater love. And his name is Jesus. That's where we're going. That's what we're going to spend our time talking about today, that we're going to love this Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. He is our greater king. Tied up in all of that is a greater allegiance. Rich Mullins, uh, we're missing him. Uh, Rich Mullins sings, If I Stand, and there, in, in the song, If I Stand. He said, there's a loyalty that's deeper than mere sentiments and the music higher than the songs that I can sing. The stuff of earth competes for the allegiance I owe only to the giver of all good things. The stuff of earth competes, heavily competes for the allegiance, the loyalty that I owe only to the giver of all good, good things. The stuff of earth gets our loyalty and the stuff of earth does not deserve our loyalty. The stuff of earth has not created us. The stuff of earth has not died to save us. The stuff of earth will not judge us on the last day. The stuff of earth has not divided, invited us into the throne room of grace. The, the stuff of earth has not invited us to live with him forever, forever, forever and ever and ever in eternity. The stuff of earth competes, but the stuff of earth does not measure up. There is a greater king than anything or anyone else that the earth will ever produce, and his name is Jesus. Everything in our life, including politics, comes way up underneath that, way underneath that. There's a greater allegiance that we owe only to Jesus Christ. It's a greater allegiance than what we give to our parents. And we're told in Scripture to honor our father and mother, right? We are. And so whether your father and mother are, are aged, whether your father and mother are young and you're, you're little, the allegiance, the loyalty that you owe to God the King is greater because you love Him with all your heart, soul, and mind, and then your parents beyond that. It's an allegiance and a loyalty that we owe to God that is greater than the allegiance and loyalty we might owe to our career, no matter what your career is, to your money, to your bank account, to your life plan. It's a greater allegiance and a loyalty that you owe to God that's greater than that which you give to your spouse, to your husband, or to your wife. I remember when Sandy and I get ma got married, it was videotaped, and back when they had these, you know, big video cameras and nothing like this one, big old things, and it had zeroed in on our faces as we were kneeling and praying towards the end of the surface, and it, it, it caught me uh, whispering something, and somebody's 
asking me afterwards, what, what were you whispering there towards the end? We sang, I love you, Sandy. And as romantic as that would have been, and I said that many times, I wasn't saying that at that moment. What I was saying was, thank you, Jesus. Because I knew that without Jesus Christ, I would never have met my beloved, much less have the privilege of marrying her and living with her forever. Thank you, Jesus. There's a loyalty and an allegiance that we owe to Jesus Christ that is greater than what we give to our spouse, greater than what we give to our children. As awesome as our children are, it's greater even than that. We don't have our children unless we have first Jesus Christ who has given us those children. My friends, it's greater than any allegiance or loyalty that you would give to your country. And we have a great country. I love our country. And I've visited a lot of other countries on earth. I love our country. I prefer our country. We would be remiss in thinking that our country is the greatest one on earth. Maybe it is. Maybe it is for us. But I promise you there's other people in other countries, maybe Italy, maybe Switzerland, Australia. They, would, they might argue with that. Okay, so let them argue with that. God's called us to this country, and I love this country but my friends, the allegiance, the loyalty we owe to the king of all kings, whose name is Jesus, is an allegiance and a loyalty that's greater even than the loyalty that we owe to the United States, as great a country as it is. There is only one God that is God and that is worthy of all of our love. He even defines himself in 1 John as love. He says very simply, God is love. God is love. He gets our love before anything else gets our love. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, we read these words from the Apostle Paul. He says, To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. To the king of the ages. What's he saying there? He's saying there's one king that is eternal. He was the king in the Garden of Eden. He'll be the king at the end of Revelation. He'll be the king 10 million years from now. He's the only king that has been the king above all kings throughout all of history. And when Nero thought he was king, our God has been king. There is only one king that is the God above all kings. To the king of all of the ages, he is the one that is eternal. He is immortal. He is invisible. He is immortal. That means he doesn't die. He has conquered death. He is not mortal and limited in time and space the way we are. He is invisible. That means you, more than just you can't see him. I mean, you can't touch him. You can't control him. He isn't yours to control. You don't get to be the fourth person of the Trinity. He is the only wise God, the only God. To him be glory and honor forever and ever and ever. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul goes on. He's urging people to pray in this place. In chapter 2, in verse 1. He says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings. Supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. Paul wants to make sure we cover every single thing there is to cover about prayer, right? That, he, that those be made for all people. But then he breaks it down. He gets specific here in verse 2. He says, for kings and all who are in high positions. So those that are, that are kings there on the earth, those that are governors, uh, those that are county executives, uh, mayors, senators, congressmen, whoever they happen to be. God is saying, or Paul is saying, here, I want you to pray for all of them. And here's, the, listen to the purpose of that. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, 
godly and dignified in every way. So we're praying for these kings and governors that we may lead, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. Because Paul knows that they've got authority and the ability uh, to disrupt that or to bring about that peaceful and quiet life. And he goes on, godly and dignified in every way. Paul knows that those governors, those presidents, kings, mayors, whatever they are, they have power to bring about justice on this earth and to bring about a peaceful life, more peaceful life for us. These kings were to pray for, but these kings are not our hope. If these kings were our hope, we would not pray for them, we would pray to them. There is no president that is your hope. If your president was your hope, you would pray to him instead of for him or her. Our God is our hope. And it isn't just, just that Jesus brings us hope. Jesus is our hope. And so it is to him that we pray as we pray for kings and all of those others in high positions. Romans 13 takes this a little bit deeper. He says, in Romans 13 and verse 1, Paul again, he's writing to the church at Rome who was under the leadership of Nero at the time. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. There is no authority that does exist except has come from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. My friends, who, whatever president ends up in the White House in, at the end of January is one that has been instituted by God. As, as Peter prayed and reminded us early, there is not one thing on earth that is outside of God's control over which God does not say, this is mine. This is mine. God wants you to know that though you, you, you do your research and, and though you vote and you should, though you do all of those things, in the final analysis, the result is up to him. Proverbs 21 tells us that God holds the heart of a king in his hand, and like a water course, he turns it whichever way he will. Our God is our hope. Kings, presidents, princes, governors, they come and they go. They come and they go. Nations and empires, they come and they go, including the one we have. Only our God is eternal. Only our God is our hope. Only our God sets up authorities and causes them to exist or tears them down when he sees fit. Only our God. This God that is greater, this greater king gives us a greater kingdom. It is natural and it is right that we desire a better life and a better kingdom, however you define it. It is natural and right that you desire that this kingdom be better than it was before or better than it used to be or better than it might be. It's right and good that we desire those things. But sometimes, perhaps often, we desire a better life or a better kingdom, a better country at the expense of someone else. We want our life better but we don't care if their life is worth, worse that ours might be better 
or us to have a better country and a better kingdom that someone else might have something worse. My friends, God takes us deeper than that. He takes us deeper into a, a deeper foundation of who he is, who he is in you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, who you are in him, what your foundation is, what your eternal life is. He takes you deeper into a different identity, a different sort of kingdom. He takes us higher to a place where he dwells. And Christ, my friends, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you have a better kingdom already, a better kingdom that is guaranteed to be yours forever and ever and ever and ever. Though we be there 10,000 years or 10 million years, that is God's promise to you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. There's a greater kingdom that we have in Christ. But this Christ has called us to seek a greater kingdom. In Matthew chapter 6, in verse 33, he tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Amos in chapter 5, verse 5, in Amos chapter 5, verse 6, he says, seek the king, seek God. He's calling us to seek, to, to, to seek us to, to search after, not just to, to wake up and glance, not just to look out the window and, and see if something went by, but to seek after is, to, is an intentional searching measure. It's what you do as you charge hard after intentionally. Seek first God and his righteousness his righteousness instead of our own self-righteousness. I don't know about you, but I can quite often dive into and seek after my own self-righteousness. Self-righteousness is something I can control. I know it's a fallacy. It doesn't really exist, but I like to think it does, and you're probably the same way. God says put that aside. It's a plastic sword that will win no battles. He says instead seek after God and his righteousness. His kingdom is what lasts we're not only called to seek this greater kingdom and we're called to build this greater kingdom. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you to the very end of the age. And you might say, what does that have to do with the kingdom? My friend, that has everything to do with the kingdom. I like the way Matt Chandler puts it. When Matt Chandler's speaking of the kingdom of God, he gives us three D's, okay? He gives us three D's because we like to think in D's because we're, we're pastors and preachers and because it's easy to remember. He says you dwell, you, you seek dominion, and you disciple. Dwell, dominion, and disciple. So we dwell in Christ. We dwell in Christ. Chapter 15 of John speaks of abiding in Christ. Some translations say dwell in Christ. It's to it's, it's to, well, it's like what a fish does. A fish in water gets his food from the water. He gets his oxygen from the water. His home is in the water. The water touches every part of him inside and out. He's dwelling in the water. My friends, we are to dwell, we are to abide, John 15, in Christ. Abide with Christ. He determines what we think, how we feel, how we love, and how we live. It's, it's in Christ. There's also a dominion, the second D where we allow God to have dominion over us. We acknowledge that he already has that dominion, but then we seek his 
righteousness. Lord, what is this dominion? How do you want me to live? What is your directive for me about how I'm to go and how I'm to give, how I'm to love and how I'm to live, how I'm to think, how I'm to thrive? We seek God's dominion over us. And there's also, though, disciple. Dwell dominion and disciple. This discipleship belongs to the church of Jesus Christ. We're called to make disciples of all nations. So that's bringing people that don't yet have faith in Christ to a place where hopefully, prayerfully, they do have faith in Christ. If you're one of those that's there, here this afternoon or listening online, listen, I want you to have faith in Jesus Christ because that's where the hope is. There is nothing else on earth that will give you that firm and eternal hope other than Jesus Christ. The problem is that we let other things disciple us. We let 24-hour news disciple us. We let social media disciple us. My friends, there is a greater wisdom that is given to us than what we can gain from all of these other sources. That greater wisdom comes to us from the Word of God. In that greater wisdom, we also have this greater identity, that understanding of this greater king, this greater kingdom, this greater wisdom reminds us that we have a greater identity in Christ, Christ in us, us in Christ. When we are grounded in that, when we recognize that we've been created by Jesus Christ, saved by Jesus Christ, that, that we will be judged by Jesus Christ, and that he will look to the Father and say, this one's mine. I have paid for this one. This one is mine. We will dwell with this Jesus Christ forever and ever and ever. That is our greater, greater identity we have in Christ. And therein lies our worldview. This greater wisdom within this greater identity that we have in Christ as the greater king and his greater kingdom, this greater wisdom comes to us from Jesus Christ. Everyone has a worldview. Everyone does. Even the one that's an atheist and says, my, my worldview is nothingness. Well, you got a worldview. And he's, he's making all the decisions through that worldview. You and I do the same. And God would have our worldview shaped by his word. And so we want to dive into his word and let that be shaped in, in that way. In James, in chapter 1, he said, the James, little brother of Jesus, says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith and not doubting. And some, some have asked me, so how am I supposed to vote? What do I do with this wisdom from God? Does God tell me what to do with that? Well, I'm afraid it's not that easy. Uh, poet Walt Whitman said, not I, not anyone else can travel that road for you. You must travel it for yourself. There are no easy answers there, my friends. But you need to think through it for yourself. You need to come to those conclusions for yourself on how to vote and how to be involved in politics. The problem is that we as a country... We have forgotten how to think for ourselves and make decisions for ourselves. It's not what we do so much anymore. We allow others to think for us. And these 24-hour news channels to shape us, disciple us, to form who we are. God would have us to have a greater wisdom. It also impacts how we relate to other people with this greater wisdom. You see, when we let... The, the stuff of earth that gets, does not get our allegiance, when we let the stuff of earth, earth shape who we are, then we turn and we give that to somebody else. And if they don't believe the same way we do, we look down on them. Several weeks ago, I heard a nationally recognized pastor 
say that you cannot be a Christian and vote Democrat. Well, a few weeks before that, I heard a nationally recognized pastor say, you can't be a Christian and vote Republican. I've heard someone else say, you can't be a Christian and not vote. I got news for everybody. Jesus isn't a Republican. He isn't a Democrat. He isn't a third-party candidate. He's greater than all of that. And thankfully, our identity with Jesus Christ is not tied to how we vote. It isn't. It isn't. It isn't. You can be a Christian if you have faith in Jesus Christ, plus you vote this way. When we lived in France, we saw an individual come to know Jesus Christ. She had been involved in the occult, not just a cult, but the occult. She had been involved in a, in a, in a group that worshiped Satan. And she had become a believer in Jesus Christ. And one of the first things her pastor did was to tell her that now that she was a Christian, she needed to stop smoking. I, I didn't know what to do with that. You've just come out of the occult, and now that you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've got to stop smoking cigarettes. Really? In other words, your faith in Jesus Christ is tied to his death on a cross and you not smoking. Your faith in Jesus Christ is tied to his death on the cross and how you vote. My friends, Jesus Christ is a much greater king than that. We live in a world where God gives us a greater wisdom, but there's a world around us that wants to influence that and shape that and form that in us. If you haven't realized it yet, I'm a football fan. I'm a sports fan. Um, I, I watch uh, a lot of football. Um, I haven't yet because I don't have cable this year. Bummer. That might change because Auburn plays Georgia next Saturday. Um, we'll see. Last year during the Super Bowl, do you know how much an average 30-second ad was? $5.6 million average for 30 seconds. That was just the average. That was the average. There were some that were much higher, and there were some that were much lower. 30 seconds during the Super Bowl, $5.6 million. National advertising amounted to over $400 million during the Super Bowl last year. Folks, that's a lot of Doritos. <laughs> somebody knew, somebody knew that if they throw these ads at you, they can get you to buy more Doritos. They can, get, they can convince you that Bud Light is the best beer ever, and they can get you to buy more. They can create brand loyalty that will last beyond the Super Bowl. So they're throwing these major dollars at you because they know they can shape you, form you, disciple you, change how you think and what you think. $400 million, that was just national. Local ads were much higher. So, did you know that political ads this year will be much higher than that? That just presidential ads are estimated to approach $10 billion, with a B, dollars. $10 billion. That's 43% higher than the last presidential election. Let me give you a perspective on how much $10 billion is. With $10 billion, I can support an orphanage in China, a whole orphanage. The building, the clothing, the food, the education, the staff, the medical care, everything for a whole year. Not just one orphanage, 
but 200,000 orphanages. That's what I can do with $10 billion in China. My friends, we've got some mixed up priorities, number one. But number two, if somebody's willing to spend that kind of money, they must want to be president awfully bad. And they must be convinced that they can take those advertising dollars and throw them to social media and throw them to TV and they can change the way you think. They can disciple you, they can form you, they can shape you. My friends, I'm not saying stop watching the news, not at all. I'm not saying stop watching social media, reading that, not at all. But I am saying be skeptical. Be skeptical of what you read and see. $10 billion is a lot of money. And more than that, I'm saying we need, to, we, we need to take everything that we hear, everything that we read, everything that we watch, and we need to run it through the greater wisdom that God has given us. Run it through the sieve of God's word. See what he would say, and then live out of the greater wisdom that he offers to you and to me. 2 Timothy chapter 2, or chapter 3, 16 and 17 tells us to search the scripture. It says all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. That is teaching us who God is, who we are in Christ, who he is in us. Reproof, that is correcting us when we've gone wrong, correcting the way we think and the way we're living it all out, and then training us in righteousness, training the way we're going to walk out this life that he's given to us. All scriptures, God breathed and used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work, and including the good work of being involved in politics. So are, are you saying, Harrison, that Christians should be involved in politics? Well, yes. Yes. Your Christianity is not dependent upon you being involved in politics, though. There's a clear distinction there. But you should be involved in politics the same way you should be involved in education or business or journalism or whatever field that there is around you. We need to be involved in the world. And Jesus, in, in John 17, he asked the Father, he said, I'm not praying that you would take them out of the world. But he prays the Father that God would leave them in the world, that they would be in the world but not of the world. My friends, God has called us to be in the world as salt and light, to live out the life that Jesus Christ has given to us with skepticism, but with faith in God's word. We dive into God's word and he gives us a greater wisdom because he is the greater king building a greater kingdom. This brings us back to our fourth point and brings us back to our passage from the very beginning that there's a greater love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. As much as we love ourselves and we might think that we're right about everything, my friends, we could be wrong about some things and our neighbors could be right. Love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Galatians in chapter 5 and verse 6, Paul is speaking to the church in Galatia because there had been some Judaizers, as we call them. Um, there were Jewish Christians they were teaching the church in Galatia that now that they were Christians, they need, the Gentile Christians, now that they were Christians, they needed to be circumcised like Jewish Christians were. They were Gentiles. They weren't Jews. But if you're going to be a real Christian, you've got to do it like this. 
Paul says, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters. What counts is faith expressing itself through love. What counts is faith expressing itself through love. What counts is who you believe, who you trust for your life here on earth and your life eternal and expressing that through love, love for God and love for others. It's the same passage we read at the beginning in Matthew 22, to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love neighbors as yourself. My friends, in all all of our loving and all of our searching and seeking for truth, during these difficult days, keep loving each other. Don't neglect your love for God. Listen, when all this is over, I don't care if you agree with me. I don't. But I care that you agree with God. I care desperately that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that you love each other and you love your neighbors as yourself. When it's mid-November, and the evenings have turned cold, and an ambulance shows up at your, at your door in the middle of the night. Presidential candidates aren't going to show up to check and see if you're okay. The people sitting next to you in these pews will check to see if you're okay. Your neighbors, who might or might not even be believers in Christ, will walk across the street, and they will walk into your living room to see how you're doing. Whether your neighbors are believers or not, love them with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. When it's mid-February and there's been an inauguration of a new president or a second term of an existing president, and you want want to bring about some kind of a party and a greater relationship in your neighborhood or in this city, It's not going to be somebody in the White House that's going to help you do it. It's the people that are around you. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Please. By the grace of Jesus Christ, love each other. Father God, we are in great need of you. Lord, there are things in our nation and even in the church Lord, that seek to tear us apart and we make claims that are not in keeping with your holiness. Oh, Father, forgive us for that. And Father, where repentance is in order, please bring it. Father, forgive us. And Lord, I pray that you would build into your church in this country such a great faith and a focus on you and you alone that we cannot help but see your honor and glory and love you all the more. Father, I pray that we would lay aside ourselves. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. I pray that we would lay aside our plastic swords of self-righteousness and we would love each other with the love that we have through Jesus Christ. Father, help us in that. I plead with you, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, our only Redeemer and our only King. Amen. Amen.